0: to RTW Rewind. Rad Rob will take you on a journey through time to relive some of the greatest moments, matches, and personalities from the sport of professional wrestling. Now, here's your host of the show, Rad Rob, Rob Francois. Hey guys, welcome back to RTW Rewind. We are back. Rad Mania kicked my ass, but uh, I took a couple weeks off. I am here for your listening pleasure. I am your humble host, Radicalized Rob, Rob Francois. I hope everybody's doing well all around the world, and thank you for being here. My special guest this week uh, has been on the show a couple of times. He is the doctor of desire. He is the master, the ruler, the leader hitting the marks don't tell rbv i said that but he is the one and only dr michael tiberius johnson jargo the third what's going on buddy thanks for being here
1: hey hey man you know uh, when i get a message from rad rob and it's like hey do you want to do a show and it's like yep sure do what do you want to talk about i i I agree to the show before i even know the topic because i just (laughs) i enjoy i enjoy coming on and and shooting the shooting the breeze with my friend rad rob uh Welcome back, well earned vacation. I I, I kind of hear you, man. Uh, coming out of WrestleMania every year, I'm just like you know, like two weeks or so. Just give me <laughs> like a couple of weeks. I just need to decompress a little bit. So so welcome back and uh, welcome back to the world of wrestling. I'm I'm happy that you asked me to do this
0: absolutely man I'm, I'm always happy to work with you uh, i always have a good time talking to you and yeah i mean when you do seven days of shows every freaking what well, i don't just do it for that i was coming off a of rad rumble too so i mean right. i had about two months in between so i did you know seven shows a week for that and seven shows a week for this but
1: i think i did 13 podcasts wrestlemania week
0: that's quite a bit it's See, true. you got me beat you got me now and see now
1: no, yeah no. but you were producing the shows too. People don't realize oh, yeah. there's a hell of a difference when you're when you're the guy hosting and producing versus the guy who's just coming on to run your mouth. There's a whole <laughs> lot of difference there, man
0: fair that's fair that's fair. Um, but yeah, you did agree to the show without knowing the topic. We could have been talking about inflatable dicks for an hour and you're like, all right, let's fucking do it. So I
1: am happy to do an entire hour on Joey Ryan's appearance at all in. (laughs) I am totally down for it. It was, it was one of the highlights of the night. Phalluses everywhere.
0: And this is completely off topic, but that's, that's (laughs) how the show goes. But how, how was he not canceled because of that? I mean, I mean, no, he's done plenty of other things since then but how how was he not canceled from the get-go
1: you know i i have a very strange opinion of joey ryan because i have a lot of respect for joey ryan which uh, a lot of people probably do not expect coming from me (laughs) um because I'm 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 not a comedy wrestling. I'm not into like that super gimmicky kind of stuff. I'm the work rate guy, right? Yeah. But I had the opportunity to sit down and talk with Joey Ryan once, and Joey Ryan is one of the smartest people that I have talked to as far as a wrestling mind goes. Uh, complete douchebag, but he has a very good wrestling <laughs> mind, very much like Jim Cornette, right? You know, right. I mean, that it's just kind of the way it goes um but his explanation you know joey ryan could work i've seen joey ryan like work in like serious matches and whatnot the dick flip got over the dick flip got over he didn't have to take bumps and he got paid a whole bunch of money so i think he just kind of ran with it and you know what and all in all it was pretty freaking brilliant
0: it was, and I, I will always credit him for getting himself over in the most ridiculous fashion possible and Absolutely. keep getting booked, and that's what people wanted to see. Uh, even to the fact, if you believe the rumors that WWE was very close to bringing him in at, at one time.
1: The first uh, time I saw Joey Ryan was on WWE TV. Oh, did, did, uh, did he? And, was he on WWE TV? And that was long before like, he way, was way doing but, the dick flip shit.
0: Okay, but I, I heard they were actually thinking of bringing him in once they already had seen you know all the stuff that he was doing and they still considered bringing you in because what
1: what is the difference between Steve Carino who is under WWE umbrella he's mm-hmm. a producer at NXT and Joey Ryan I mean they, they they both did basically the same thing just at completely opposite ends of the spectrum sure. like what what one was more of a a, a jokey kind of weird quirky kind of character and then you had Steve Carino who was just violent mm-hmm. you, yeah. you know what i mean but yeah. I, as far as what they did inside the business very very similar
0: that's true that's true and they both had the ability to get over which
1: and i love the... steve carino he's like one of my top no, five I, favorite wrestlers I, I, ever
0: i do too. He's, he's very very good uh i'm not gonna say he's underrated because chad from two-man power trip would say he's perfectly rated uh but in any event
1: depends on where uh, you rate him i guess <laughs>
0: that's true um all right so getting back to the topic at hand uh, I'm doing a, a little bit of a mini series on the lost art of selling and I've already done the lost art of selling as a worker. Uh, I now want to take a, a deep dive into the lost art of selling as an announcer or commentator. And as soon as I mentioned that to you, you're like, fuck yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Um, that's definitely something that's lacking today. Um it, it, it I'll use WWE for example. It's not as bad now as it was maybe five years ago when they had tout and all this other shit that they're, you know, Michael Cole was trying to spout out all the time, you know, tweets and trending shit and tout and and all the info. No one's paying attention to the matches, but I mean, even with, you know, even with Cole now or Tom Phillips now, which look, they're, they're great at what they do, right? If that's your style, if that's your gimmick, if that's what the boss wants, you know, they're doing a good job. Um, but I, I miss the old days, Jargo. I, I miss, I, I miss Jim Ross before Jim Ross kind of got cranky and 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 just I don't want to say ornery, but I mean I I think he's changed since his wife has passed away. I think he's a different uh, person now.
1: Absolutely, you know what I mean? And, and understandably so. Yeah. I mean, like as much as people want to kind of rag on Jim Ross for, for coming to go cranky through. old man, yeah, yeah, he's he's dealing with a lot of demons. Uh, right. And when I listen to uh, grilling Jr., that's what I hear is yeah. a guy who's who's still kind of struggling with all of that. Yeah, um,
0: I can't I can't listen to it anymore because of that of that fact.
1: When it comes to WWE, I, I feel like we have to take WWE out. And kind of put them in their own category because we know that the WWE commentators are so produced by Vince and the office that we really don't know what Mitchell Cole's personality is. It's Mitchell Cole's personality is whatever Vince tells him to do. Um, and unfortunately, even when you find a good commentator, whether it be somebody like Corey Graves, who I thought was very, very good when he was Mm -hmm. on the way up or Samoa Joe, who I thought was a very good commentator until he ran into WWE producing. Nigel Um, McGuinness did
0: great work in NXT when he was there.
1: Yep. Yep. Um. And, well, I mean, even Morrow, when he was in NXT versus Morrow, when he was on SmackDown, t- right. two completely different people, right? And yeah, it's just yeah. the way that you're being produced. Right. I hate the way that WWE produces their announcers, and I always have. That being said, with WWE being the only game in town for so long, I think people just kind of thought, Oh, well, that's how you have to do it now. Because when I listen to AEW, they make a lot of the same mistakes to me on commentary that WWE makes. Uh, Ring of Honor, very much the same way. MLW, very much the same way. Um, Lucha Underground, for some unbeknownst reason to me, had Matt Stryker, who I just absolutely cannot stand as a (laughs) play-by-play guy. But Vampiro was very, very good. He but, was. you know, there was nobody producing Vampiro. And I feel like that's the real problem. We don't know how good these commentators actually could be if they would just take the shackles off of them a little bit.
0: Right. No, you're, you're exactly right about that. Now, you know, I go back 30-some-odd years. So, you know, when I, when I first started watching wrestling, it's, it's Vince McMahon and Jesse Ventura on, on Superstars. It's Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan on Wrestling Challenge and on Primetime. Um, in 89, when Tony Schiavone came in, it was, it was him and Lord Alfred Hayes, or it was Sean Mooney and Lord Alfred Hayes at some point, or you know, they do house shows, and they would have you know, secondary announcers or the, the MSG network. But, I mean, they had very, very talented people that knew the wrestling business and knew how to tell a story. And then on the flip side, you obviously had guys like Lance Russell in Memphis. Uh, you had Bob Cottle, I think, was in either Georgia or the Carolinas, and he came to NWA. Jim Ross and Bob Cottle, to this day, is still one of my favorite combos. And I don't think they get talked about nearly enough. Now, I don't know if you're familiar w- with any of that from around, you know, 89, 90. Um, but, you know, that that was a whole... There was WWF, which I thought Jesse and Vince were great. I thought Gorilla and Bobby were great. But when you go to the NWA and eventually WCW, it was a whole different kind of storytelling with, with JR.
1: I grew up a NWA-WCW fan. And I've always, I've always been more of a work rate guy. Yeah. So those early days of Jim Ross, I just absolutely love because Jim Ross calls things or called things at least at one time, very much (laughs) like it was a sport and knowing now how big of a sports fan of the, of the Sooners that JR is, it makes sense. It makes complete sense. He tried to call things like it was a football game. And I absolutely loved it. Throughout the course of time, though, as sports entertainment took over, it was like we we went to a narrator of the soap opera rather than a play-by-play guy that was actually just calling the matches. And I feel like that's where the big disconnect is for me.
0: Yeah, I, I can see that, and especially when you know Jr. would be like, "Lex Luger, six five, you know, two seventy plus, you know, linebacker for the blah 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 blah." And he would give everybody's college stats, and I know. When he got the WB, Vince McMahon put the gabash on that pretty quick because Vince is like, nobody gives a shit about that, that football stuff, pal. What the fuck?
1: Um,
0: but it that's works, what I love about though. there. It did, yeah.
1: That's the thing that I don't understand is it works. And for some reason, the Western promotions just don't go with it. Like you listen to Kevin Kelly when he does commentary now for New Japan Pro Wrestling. He calls it like a sport.
0: I love Kevin Kelly. I I,
1: I mean, you've got a historian and then you'll have, you know, whoever your, your second guy in the booth is your, your heel announcer, whether it's Rocky Romero or Gino Gambino or Don Callis, or, but I mean like when Kevin Kelly and Don Callis were calling new Japan, that was the best commentary team on the face of the planet. When Kevin Kelly and Steve Carino were calling ring of honor, that was freaking incredible stuff. Agreed. that's what I feel like is missing because they get so invested in the actual action because you're calling the match rather than trying to tell a narrative over the top of what you're seeing with your eyes.
0: Right now on the WWF side, I was a big fan of Vince McMahon as an announcer in the early days because who better to put over the product than a guy that, that runs it, you know what I mean? And then nobody, really knew that at the time, you know, everything was, was, was kayfabe before the, uh, the advent of the internet. Um, and Jesse was a perfect heel announcer to play off of that. And Jesse used to give him shit all the time. Can you think of that nowadays? Like <laughs> if that, if you were telling your boss, some of the things that Jesse were to tell Vince, but it's all, it's all in character. It, it's all right. in fun, but he ribbed a fuck out of Vince relentlessly. I
1: think, I think the thing that was so great about Vince was, he knew the story that he was trying to tell. You know right. what I mean. It, yeah. There was no interpretation to it. It was just <laughs> right. Vince telling you, "This is what I'm going for here." You know. Yeah. And then it was, "Does it work or does it not work?" You know. Uh, for me, Bobby Heenan, um, and and I have often made the comment that Bobby Heenan is the greatest heel of all time. Yeah. And I say that wh- whether it was as a commentator or as a manager, Hulkamania does not happen without Bobby Heenan in any way, shape, or form. And when you look at all the different eras and all the different partners that Bobby Heenan worked with, he was vital to that entire product because he would always justify what the heel was doing. He would rag on the baby face unless it was Hulk Hogan because he just hated Hulk Hogan all the way around. Whether Hulk Hogan was a good guy, whether Hulk Hogan was a bad guy, Bobby Heenan hated Hulk Hogan, and Bobby Heenan was right.
0: Yeah, no, he was right. So, I mean, I... Do you know if that was actual personal hatred or, or jealousy or?
1: Well, I mean, I don't know because it's, it's so funny when you look back at because it seemed natural, right? When you look at the rise of Hogan, even in the AWA, the guy on the other side of the ring was Bobby, the brain Heenan. Right. And it was just whichever member of the Heenan family was going after Hulk Hogan, but the real rivalry was always Hogan and Heenan. And then when they brought that to the WWF, hulkamania explodes brother and then even when you get to the 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 famous nwo call whose side is he on that's right now a lot of people say that bobby heenan blew that moment but when you look at the reality of the situation bobby heenan did not trust hulk hogan he hadn't trusted hulk hogan for 20 freaking years (laughs) and he just assumed that hulk hogan was coming out to be a slime ball and bobby heenan was right
0: that's a great point. And, you know, actually that's something in all my years, I, I never even really thought of that. And, and I, I was kind of on the fence too. Like did Bobby know, you know, did the, did, did, and Bischoff swears that nobody, nobody else knew about that except for a couple people and, and the announcers weren't part of it, but you're right. Like Bobby Heenan calling it, 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 you put yourself in his shoes. You're right. After all those years of playing the foil to Hulk Hogan and, and, Having he to deal knew. with all that. He knew. Yeah. He knew. that's so, That's so smart. That's why you're the doctor. Uh, but no, that, that's that's really smart, dude. I, that's funny. See, I learn something new all the time. This is why I love working with people uh, at Hameen, uh, because we have such a talented cast and crew here. I'm always sitting under the learning tree, even as a 44-year-old guy who thinks Absolutely. he knows it all. Uh, I don't obviously, uh, that, that's a fantastic point. I I appreciate you bringing that up because I, that never even crossed my mind. That just shows you the genius of of Bobby Heenan.
1: But it's also directly what we're talking about is the selling of the commentary. Bobby Heenan sold that story and he sold it his entire career. It was Bobby Heenan versus Hulk Hogan regardless yes. of which side of the ledger everybody was on but you look at all of hogan's greatest moments throughout all of history and somehow bobby heenan is always right there that's
0: true that's that's a very good point um i've heard mixed reviews over Grilla monsoon uh, i think uh, when i mentioned him to ben ben was said he doesn't really i, I could be wrong he's probably going to fucking slap the shit on me if, if i'm wrong and it wasn't him but i'm just gonna say for argument's sake that it was ben that i heard this from um he wasn't a fan of gorilla because gorilla was always putting himself over is that a fair assessment
1: yeah i could see that i i, I could see having that opinion of gorilla monsoon um he is an interesting one Because we know that Gorilla was office. We do know that Gorilla was a former worker, but at at a certain point, it was almost like he was working even as a commentator because of Mm -hmm. that relationship between him and Bobby Heenan. Yeah. So I almost, it was almost like having two color guys. You know what I mean? Like he was doing play-by-play, but he was more of a color guy than he was a play-by-play man. So Gorilla's really, really hard for me to kind of analyze.
0: So he, it just seemed like he always had to get his shit in. You know what I mean? Like he had all his catchphrases, all the, all his different sayings and all that. And then working Bobby, you know, like he was mm-hmm. the face, Bobby was the heel. They were clearly working each other. And sometimes I think, now while I, I enjoy it, I, I think they had a Fantastic relationship, and obviously we know they were best friends. But you're not putting over the talent in the ring at all times.
1: Would it have worked better? You're fighting
0: with each other, and and not not putting over the people that you're supposed to be putting over.
1: Would it had worked better if there was a third man in the booth? Yeah, because there's been all this talk about you know two man booth, three man booth, hell, sometimes AEW runs with like four or five freaking guys in the booth. It's it's just ridiculous. Yeah. But with those two guys, I almost feel like having somebody like a Jim Ross in the middle, having somebody like a Mitchell Cole in the middle, kind of playing the straight play-by-play guy. Right. And then you have your babyface color and you have your heel color. I feel like that's what was kind of missing with Grilla Monsoon.
0: Which we saw that for a brief period in 89 when Tony Schiavone joined Wrestling Challenge and the three of them were working together until Bobby said, fuck this. Tony's trying to take my job. I know what you're doing, Monsoon. And he he literally walked off the show. Uh, it's one of those moments I, I'll never forget. But f- And for a minute, yeah, Tony took over the play-by-play, and, and Bobby and, and Gorilla were just kind of free to just do whatever they wanted. So I wish they would have kept that. Maybe Vince didn't like it. I don't know what the reasoning for Bobby leaving. And then it just became Tony and Gorilla, which is essentially just two play-by-play guys. So that didn't make sense to me either. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that would have worked perfect. We saw it with Graves. Uh, and Byron Saxton and Michael Cole, you know, Sa- uh, yeah. Graves was able to kind of fuck off and, 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 and pick on Byron. You know what I mean? The and then, problem uh,
1: was, Saxton didn't have the personality that no. Gorilla would have had. He just let right. Graves walk all over him. I feel like, you know, <laughs> if you no. would have had Gorilla and Heenan with somebody facilitating that, that could yeah. have been really good.
0: Saxton went the goofy route, and he shouldn't yeah. have. Because I, I, th- I do think he, he has potential. Um, But unfortunately, it didn't go that way. But yeah, that's I think a three man booth w- would have worked back then, like we saw with WCW with Nitro. You know, when they they were pretty essentially the first three man booth in wrestling.
1: Now let, let's talk about Nitro a little bit because <laughs> you bring up Tony Schiavone, mm-hmm. and I love Tony Schiavone, but if we're talking about selling in wrestling, there is such a thing as overselling Over. in wrestling, yeah. Yeah. and Tony Schiavone is is the capital offender. <clears throat> when it comes to the oversell right yeah, i mean wh- wh- how do you feel about ski of Own?
0: you know it's funny when he was in wwf i thought he was good uh, on primetime until we got to SummerSlam and he was with jesse the body ventura and he literally screamed the entire fucking show like, I like to listen to wrestling at night when I go to sleep because it just it calms me. I, I mean, I'm one of those weird people. I'll listen to old shit from the 80s because it brings me back to a time when I was a kid again. Uh, I can't... If I put that on my playlist, I'll never sleep because Tony is just over the fucking top, literally yelling and screaming the whole time. I don't know. He had a voice by the end of the event. Uh, he should have lost his voice by the time that the main event came, but it, yeah, he, he was over the top. When he got to WCW, I want to say he... He toned down a little bit in his style, where he wasn't yelling as much, but he still, to your to your point, was absolutely over the top in the way he called things. Like this is the greatest freaking shit in the history of wrestling. It's always the running joke on, on on what happened when, but um, it's <laughs>
1: it's
0: day. yeah, yeah. I know, uh, but he's got passion, right? So I mean, you got you got to kind of give him credit for that. I think it's. I don't think it, it was intentional. I just think he loved wrestling and he was passionate about it until the end, when he just you know didn't give a fuck.
1: The thing that's funny about it to me is I know he does like real sports. He does a lot of stuff <laughs> with the Georgia Bulldogs. Doing
0: that with the Gwinnett Braves when he was doing the right? you know, baseball and shit. Like,
1: <laughs> I just I can't imagine free two a count. Oh, it's a hit it! It's off the ground! It's a whole
0: run! Like, okay, Tony, shut.
1: You gotta, yeah. you gotta you gotta bring it down a little bit yeah um but no, you're, you're I, right i'll tell you the nitro commentator that i love though and this kind of goes back to the vince mcmahon he was booking everything so he kind of knew the story that he was trying to tell eric bischoff when he would take over for that second hour of nitro i thought was tremendous as the lead play-by-play guy
0: yes yes i will agree with that i thought and i don't think he gets enough credit for how how well he did during that job um
1: What about Larry Zabisco? Oh, the living legend was, he was absolute freaking money, especially when the whole NWO thing kicked in. Because he was just, for when it came to the NWO, it was almost like he got babyface Larry Zabisco, but he was still like living legend douchebag he would just flip it around on the heels instead of flipping it on the baby faces but then the next match would start right and he would just go right back to being the heel announcer but unless it was the nwo he was always anti nwo i love larry zabisco he was so so good
0: yeah even though he's a douche he was still a company guy like he still bled wcw you're not going to come into my house and fuck this shit up I'm Larry fucking Zabisco, And he got himself over that. Like the and there's crowd an would,
1: interesting psychology to that.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, no, there is now on the flip side of the coin, you have a guy that had no wrestling experience at all. And that's Mongo McMichael.
1: <sighs> yeah. Was that a, yeah, was that a failed was...
0: experiment? I mean, what, how much, how much money did they pay him to bring his little fucking dog in there in the early days? <sighs> I... And then, and then he wanted to be a, one of the workers, which I, you know, he wasn't, a, he wasn't bad. I mean I've seen worse. But He wasn't good. No, but he wasn't good. But um, as a commentator, he brought he brought nothing
1: to the And to then the table. and then the crown sin of all, not only do they make him a wrestler, not only does he have his little dog, <laughs> they make him a freaking horseman. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. Dude, come on.
0: I mean you can't I mean even Paul Roma's like, yeah, that's that's Yeah, right? Fun.
1: Even yeah. Paul Roma's like, dude, that's fucked.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know whose brainchild that was Was Amazing the Dusty's. Offers, and, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know. And then Kevin Green was there too. And, you know, I think Bischoff was infatuated with, with celebrities uh, and, and wanted to kind of, you know, use the outside world to try to get a pop like that. You know, with Rodman, with Mongo, with Kevin Green, uh, but- who else do they use? Carl Malone.
1: In, in eric's defense though and of course i'm i'm, I'm a bischoff mark but <laughs> in eric's defense those are some of the best celebrity appearances that you've ever seen that's true that's i true. mean I like they even worked carl, at Tonight
0: show for fuck's sake i mean that's uh, a big like, deal back then
1: like the carl malone thing like that match is actually really good and malone like went seriously like he went hard at at Figuring out what he needed to do and how he, he needed to do it. He didn't to want to it. be a
0: joke. Yeah, he was a professional. He didn't want to be a joke.
1: Rodman. What if there was ever a natural professional wrestler? It's Dennis freaking Rodman. True. Um, I, I mean, and as much as I hate to say it, um, <sighs> David Arquette. All right. And <laughs> now I I know this was not Bischoff. This was Russo, but. I hate the David Arquette thing. I hated the David Arquette thing when it happened. I knew that was basically going to be the death of WCW. It never should have happened all that heavy horse shit. But Vince Russo will tell you, bro, we're still talking about it 20 years later. I'd say it worked. And it's like, eh, it's really, really fucking hard to argue with that.
0: It really is hard to argue that because I mean... uh even Vince was WWE champion so I mean I mean yeah. you still you still talk about it
1: and I have respect now for David Arquette much more oh, respect hell yeah, now dude. than I ever did then yeah I mean like that dude has put in the freaking work
0: he did he paid his dues after and not before which is kind of weird like he came in was wwe champion 20 years later he's paying his dues He <laughs> was a 40 50 year old guy uh, but he loves the business so yeah i mean he got in stupid fucking good shape too so you, you got to give him props for that but back in the day yeah i mean it was a joke but like you said we're still talking about it now so it so, had a lasting impact right you know and that's and what it, that's what wrestling's all
1: about right it's creating memories and moments when you try to think about it in the, in that kind of context, you know, it's like, yeah, that was really re- like the finger poke of doom. That was awful. Yeah. Awful.
0: Mm-hmm. People, the, they still hate that shit. Like purists will still I bet you Cornet hates that shit.
1: One, one of the most outrageous things that you've ever seen in, in the history of pro wrestling, yeah. not because of what they did, but because it, it was the way that those purists view it is it was just exposing the business for being fake. Right. And that was the problem with it. But here we are still talking about it 20 years later. And it's just like, damn, you know, when you, when, when you really kind of think about it, (laughs) how bad of an idea was it? That's true. That's true. You're, you're exactly right. But again, to go back to the original topic, what makes that? Tony Schiavone's outrage.
0: Yep. Yep the announcer selling it selling the moment properly um which again does not happen anymore
1: hello this is former wwe superstar tito santana and you are listening to the best pro wrestling podcast out there rtw rewind arriba
0: TW um, rewind I have a clip that I actually want to play you that I found uh, watching some old primetimes. Um, Lord Alfred Hayes called something like I have never seen before and I've probably seen this match a thousand times over the years because I love primetime wrestling um, but he actually calls something legit almost, almost like like you said, like it's a sport. And back in WWE days, um, that didn't happen. Uh, So I'm going to play this for you. Ravishing Rick Rude still holding the nose now. And he's really upset. Look at that intensity on the face. Yes, well, all those blows delivered there by Coco are just superficial. They're not
1: going to stop him in his tracks. They're not going to get his shoulders down for three. And they're certainly not going to knock him out. They will hurt, but they'll hurt his pride more than anything. You, You look at this, you see? Ravishing. Is full of energy. He's full of strength. He was wide open for that shot, mind you. But they're not the blows that's really going to stop Ravishing Rick
0: Rude. See, I love that call uh, from Lord Alfred Hayes. You know, saying that that's not the strategy that Coco should employ. Like, yeah, that's gonna it's gonna hurt him for a while, but that's not gonna pin him. Like, you don't you don't hear shit like that anymore. You know what I mean? Like, that was a brilliant observation, and and kind of calling it like it's real, like. Yeah, I mean, getting punched in the face sucks. Like, it really does. But, I mean, like, this guy's fucking jack. He's full of, you know, he's full of adrenaline. You're going to have to do something better than that to get him down to the mat and pin him for a three count. That, that's a fantastic observation.
1: Yeah, no, I'm I'm absolutely. I'm right there with you. Um and and I think that's one of the things that I like the most about Kevin Kelly and the way that the new Japan team calls things. You know, because they'll break things down like that, you know, yeah. where no, they're just trying to to soften up this body part for this move that you can expect later on in the match. Right. You know, and everything it, it's it just helps with the narrative going on inside of the story rather than a narrator who's just kind of telling you the story over the top without really having any kind of play by play. Like I feel like Mitchell Cole has a a, a lot of really, really good qualities. But he's a terrible play-by-play announcer.
0: Mhm. No, yeah, no I agree. But I mean he's not, I mean he's had a great run. You got to you got to give him credit for it's, that. it's he, been an
1: incredible run. You know. And he, he's exactly what Vince wants, which is why yeah. y- whether it's Vic Joseph or the new guy on Monday Night Raw whose name escapes me right now. I can't remember um, his name, either. I'm sorry. Tom Phillips, uh <laughs> yeah. the, the new guy down in NXT, they they all sound like Mitchell Cole clones. Yeah, Every one of them.
0: They do. I know you're 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 exactly right on that. Uh, JR used to be good at doing that too. You know, just talking about, you know, if you take his legs out, you know, they're you know, and you ground them, they're not gonna be able to do this, they're not gonna be able to do that. If it's a high flyer, you know, you want to work on his legs or stuff like that. So he can't he can't go to his his bread and butter moves and stuff like that. And that, that's smart. And that and that even goes back to just the style of wrestling in general, the fact that they don't even do that anymore. You know what I mean? Like, fuck, if, if you were if Jericho was smart in AEW, fucking ground and pound every every one of those assholes are flip-flopping and flying around uh but yeah you don't you don't see that shit anymore
1: i i feel that way about lance archer um i love lance but like i don't need to see somebody six foot ten that's like a foot <laughs> taller than everybody else on the damn roster yeah. walking on the tight rope and doing moonsaults i mean like just go out there and be freaking godzilla right yeah. you know like just yeah. go out there and just destroy everybody everybody dies They're-
0: which is why I see, you know, Killer Cross or Carrying Cross now. And he's, he's, he's killing people. Like, he's, he's, he's the murder hawk monster. I mean, he's really destroying people. And that's the way he should be presented. Then you got Keith Lee, who's, you know, to, to what you're, you, you said about uh, Lance Archer. You know, Keith Lee is a 300-pound guy working like he's a 220-pounder. Just because he can. Remember right. what Undertaker said on, on uh, one of his Broken Skull sessions? I could do all that shit. But they told me right. not to yep they told me to slow down paul Heyman said slow down slow down slow down and if you think you're going slow go slower work your size yeah we know you can do all that fancy shit you're a fucking fantastic athlete but that's not you and that's not the way you want to portray yourself he took that to heart and he made a fucking 40 year career out of it
1: and it then it also meant something more when they would turn it on when undertaker would go old school um, or fly you, over
0: if, the top without touching right. the ropes. Like, yeah. uh,
1: you, you go back and watch some of those like late 70s, early 80s matches of Andre over in yep. Japan. And it's incredible how quick and agile Andre actually was. He could, he could, in he could his drop prime. At people. Yeah. 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 You know, but then you see him, you know, like Circa WrestleMania 3, and it's like the guy can barely freaking move because of the toll that it took on all of his joints. Right. But, he started working smarter instead of harder. And he just started working to his size. And I feel like that's, I mean, we're seeing it even now with Will Ospreay, right? Like you go back and watch like Will Osprey from five years ago. And it's like, Will, you got to slow down. Well, now he's the IWGP world heavyweight champion and he has slowed down and it's made him so much better.
0: Yeah, I mean, Edge was pretty much the same way. I mean, yep. how many ladder matches and tables matches and all that shit can you do? Uh, you know, he already had neck issues from from early, early on. Uh, he, he was smart, and he realized that I can't make a career out of it. Christian, too. You know, the, yeah. they, the, Jeff Hardy is probably the only one that didn't learn from that. But, um, you know, Edge and Christian slowed down, and, and they had really, really good runs when Edge became the Radar Superstar and focused more on his character. Uh, the uh, ultimate
1: not, opportunist that's right
0: and not just all the you know crazy shit that he used to do he had a he had the best run of his career people need to learn from guys like that nowadays which is why i'm glad he's still around now but <sighs> wwe is just so overproduced and 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 micromanaged and it's the cookie cutter style you know they want everybody in nxt to to work the wwe style and it's like you said the announcers are the same way so yeah we could t- we can take them out let's talk about impact a little bit were you a fan of of mike tenay uh when he when he jumped ship and went over there
1: um i always liked mike tenay uh kind of in that historian kind of role to actually just add some kind of context or to remind you of hey this is similar to you know what the horseman did to dusty back <laughs> in you know what i mean like yeah Those historical connections are really, really nice to have when you have a whole lot of history. The problem when he went to impact TNA, whatever you want to call it, was there wasn't all that history to pull from and what he could, what he couldn't, and what he could say, what he couldn't say. So I liked him a lot better in WCW than I ever did when he was with TNA.
0: No, I agree. I was excited when he come on to WCW and and talk about the, the cruiserweight matches and stuff like that, and give us the history of guys from Mexico. And uh, you know, I learned a lot by listening to him. And he was great in spots, but when you make him the focal point, he is the guy that everyone's listening to. He's the play-by-play announcer. He's the one that's that's telling the story and setting the tone for everything. Yeah, I don't think, and you are right with with being limited in what he could say. It, either he didn't have the ability, or he was handcuffed. Uh, either way, it didn't work for me. But I liked when Taz joined him, and and. I don't know your thoughts on Taz as an announcer. I thought he was good in WWE, but I thought at least when he was in TNA, he he kept it together. Um, and then he got uh, Don uh, Don West, who was screaming all the time too. I mean, he was a hardworking motherfucker though. Like yeah, he, he did so many things for them. I might not be a big fan of his announcing style, um, but I am a fan of him in general. Just on all the shit that he did to help try to build TNA up, but. You'll, um, you'll, you'll
1: have to get on with RBV and talk some Don West. Rick okay. is a huge Don West fan. Had a <laughs> had a drink with him up at Starcast. Uh and it was like Rick was like <laughs> cloud freaking nine, man. It was great.
0: <laughs> That's cool. Um yeah, him and tonight early on were just eh, I mean, it was a little bit like two you know, there were two polar opposites, obviously.
1: I did always like Taz as an announcer. Uh, yeah. mostly because Taz had that credibility. So when Taz would be like, no, he shouldn't do that. He should do this instead. Mm-hmm. yeah, He had that credibility that you were like, oh, yeah, yeah. Why aren't you doing what Taz is telling you to do? Right. You know, and now but he I mean, runs. Worker,
0: workers being commentators in general. Sorry to cut you off. But yeah, it's always good to have somebody in the booth like that because they know exactly what it takes to go into the psychology of a match and all that. And, and they're they're the best people to pull. Uh, information from so I, I was always a fan of of most guys that were in the booth. I won't say they were all great. Uh, Striker, to your point, uh, I mean, as a color guy, I thought he was okay. I didn't like him as, as a play-by-play guy, but it, early on in WWE, I thought he did uh, a good enough job as a as a as a color guy. But he was also more of a fan than he was a worker, and his his fandom kind of came out too much when he called and gave information out.
1: My problem with Matt Stryker, um, do you, you ever listen to NPR? Yeah, some well, sometimes. Matt Stryker is an NPR wrestling announcer. Everything that he says, it has to come across like this and he's going to explain to you. It sounds like you're at at the fucking Masters. (laughs) Right, right, right. It's it's like, dude, turn it up a little bit. Like, I'm watching Lucia Underground. Pentagon's out there, like, breaking people's arms. And now Pentagon is going to put him inside. He's going to wrap the arm around right there. Oh! (laughs) You know, it's just like, dude, turn it up a little bit. And now I guess he's, uh, he's doing impact. So, good luck with that impact josh matthews i hate josh matthews uh as a as a commentator i like josh's person but as a commentator I, I i was never a fan of josh's style
0: i again again i liked him in WWE, even though we didn't get a lot of him i thought he was okay until he threw up on a live smackdown i think but yeah, uh he just, um, he, but he, it, I, you know playing heel a character a dozen. Yeah, and then he played the heel character on TNA. Like you yeah. know, it, it didn't work for me then. Didn't work no. for me when Michael Cole did it. It's uh, that's that's getting your shit in and getting yourself over at the expense of your talent in the ring. And I've never agreed with that. Which brings me to Jerry Lawler. I right know I'm skipping around from errors and stuff like that. I like early Jerry Lawler when he first came into WWF. I didn't like him in the attitude era with Jim Ross because he became a parody of himself. I thought he was great at being a heel announcer early on in 93, 94, around then, but come 97, 98, 99 puppies, 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 just it, fucking it
1: just came off as a perverted old man,
0: pretty much, which he was, which I mean, it's yeah, yeah
1: at least it was true to know, his character. Right
0: exactly now. right. But I didn't like the two of them together.
1: I, I, I felt like the re- the difference between the two, though, y- when you turn your lead announcer, your lead narrator, heel—that's the voice of the entire promotion. And if you don't like your lead commentator, if you don't like the voice, you don't like the character of whoever your lead commentator, your lead narrator is. You're not going to like the show, right? right? I mean that 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 just seems logical to me. Now, I do feel like heel commentators work. It just has to be a color guy, like the king when he first got started he was basically just doing color as a heel commentator and that absolutely worked for me um i'm kind of with you i always thought that the king was an overrated heel commentator but he was just clearly not you know going for my demographic either you know i mean
0: he was smart he was quick-witted i mean he knew the business i mean he was a booker himself so you know he, he he knew what it took to get in but at one point it just got annoying you know what i mean like and yeah. jr was was trying to kind of reel it in and, and and play the straight man which you know jr did a fabulous job during that time putting people over uh but jerry just just became a comedy act um but jr's passion during the attitude era if he wasn't if if somebody else were calling some of those moments i don't think they'd have the same impact as they do now you know like, if, if he you made him.
1: mcfoley yeah absolutely I, He completely made Mick Foley, whether it was the sit-down interview, whether it was God is my witness, he's broken in half, somebody stopped the damn match, like (laughs) whatever, you know, like Jim Ross just completely made Mick.
0: Yeah, and and you could almost credit Tony Schiavone and Eric Bischoff as well for getting people to tune into his title win and and really make him. But no, you're right. JR was very instrumental, uh, and I think he took a – it's almost like a pet project of his. Because both Vince, or sorry, both Jim and Mick wanted to prove Vince wrong because obviously we've heard the stories over the years that mm-hmm. Vince didn't understand what Mick Foley was all about. He didn't think he had anything to bring to the table other than he was a, a crazy son of a bitch or s- somebody got him into WWF and and maybe it was Jim Ross that got him in. I think Jim may have been in talent at that point, but I'm not sure. Um, but Vince just wanted him in shit brown tights and a mask because, you know, that's his vision for him. And Mick got that shit over and and Jim like you said helped him along the way and, and they were both out to prove a point like dude I, i'm i know how to entertain i know how to be a professional wrestler and get over
1: and it also helped that Jim Ross was kind of an extension of Stone Cold too you know what i mean like you knew <laughs> that Stone Cold and Jim Ross were boys yeah. and so then you had the dynamic between Jim Ross and Vince and and they'd kind of go at each other and you yeah. know, Jr. did not necessarily try to be the straight man in any way, shape, or form. It was Stone Cold, Stone Cold, great shit. Great.
0: It shit. was great shit.
1: Plus, given the fact
0: that you know Vince fired him a couple of times during the whole period too. I mean, I don't, I don't think they had the best relationship at that point either. So, uh, watching Vince get his ass kicked by Stone Cold probably, probably you know, brought a smile to Jim's face during all that. So uh, that was uh, you know his emotion of the moment. Uh, just, just taking over because who doesn't want to see Vince McMahon get his ass kicked. Right. Right. But But again, to Vince's credit, he was a fucking fantastic heel. Without Vince, that, that the whole Austin McMahon thing, obviously never would have happened, but I mean, it wouldn't have had the same impact that it did, uh, if it was somebody else and they've tried to replicate it and it's never been the same.
1: Going through the last year and a half or so going through the pandemic era what have you noticed about commentary because it's it, it's it's very difficult for the commentators to they're doing two different jobs at the same time they're reacting to what they're seeing in the ring and they're reacting to the audience when you take half of that equation away how have you felt about commentary inside of the pandemic era
0: that's lackluster i mean it's just it's uh it's hard to get behind anything i mean taking the crowd away uh, you almost feel like the announcers are even like, we don't want to fucking do this shit. Really? You know, they're not hyping up. This, and that should have been a time where they were focused more on character development and building stories. Uh, and instead they're still calling what they're seeing. Um, and you know, without the fans response, it was just like, why are we even here? So it's almost like they were phoning it in, in my right. opinion.
1: Uh, I know you're not necessarily a big Japanese wrestling fan. I wouldn't say, uh, I'd actually say not a fan at all, to be clear. Okay. Have you ever watched a show with Japanese commentary?
0: I've seen matches here and there, but I mean, it's not something I would sit down and watch for, you know, an hour or anything like that. Like, I've seen clips or stuff on YouTube.
1: I think you would be surprised. I think you would get into it. Okay. Because because their enthusiasm is so contagious. I mean, because they get going and everything is gonna, everything is super, super exciting, and then they just start <laughs> screaming it over. It's great. I right. love listening to Japanese commentary, and I have no idea what they're saying. Just, <laughs> doesn't you know matter. what I mean? Yeah. It's completely because it's all about that emotion. It's like listening to Mauro Ranallo for like, you know, two and a half hours. You know, it's like, holy shit, this guy's gonna have a freaking heart attack. Just call this match.
0: Let me pick your brain on this just for a second, uh, because that, that's an interesting topic. Why are the Japanese commentators so over the top, but the fans themselves are so low key?
1: Hmm.
0: Um, like well, like they'll, they'll cheer high spots, you know, or. Oh yeah, for the, absolutely.
1: For most of the time they're just, they're quiet. Um. I. I, I do. <laughs> my, my, oldest daughter just sent me a text message that says can you repeat that one more time a little louder for the people in the back Um, (laughs) that's hilarious that's great that's (laughs) great um the japanese people are 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 very very different in the way that they are accustomed um obviously uh one of the things that's very different in japanese wrestling is it's not necessarily face and heel dynamic it's more sports presentation and so you have more of a positioning kind of battle Mm -hmm. and the japanese people will pull for whoever the underdog is regardless if they're a good guy or a bad guy right Mm -hmm. the other thing with japanese wrestling if you watch the main events those people get rocking like when okada's out there when tanahashi's out there when ibushi's out there those people make a lot of noise but the way that the japanese build their cards Is very, very different to the American audience because they will start with the least important match of the night. And that will be the first match. And then they build to the most important match of the night. And so the fans get more riled up. And you're, you're, as you're going up the roller coaster, right? Whereas when you look at the Western presentation, you have this constant kind of roller coaster ebb and flow. That's where the cool down match came from uh it's just a very very different kind of presentation and it's like you know the japanese audience they'll get into it but they wait until it's three quarters of the way through the show and you're getting (laughs) to you know the top two three four matches on the card
0: what are you more of a fan of Are, are, are you more of a fan of the way they they build from low tier to high tier or you know do you like the u.s presentation where you want to start out with a hot match to set the tone and then like you said go up and down from there you're 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 going to have your popcorn matches, but um, what what do you like better?
1: I, I prefer the Japanese presentation, but it's just because it feels more sports-like to me, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you're watching a UFC card, you might have a match that's really, really good as the third fight on an eight-match card, but it was still only the third most important match on the show, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? So th- there are places for people to elevate themselves inside of the card. There's nothing that says you can't go out there and have a great match. It's the third match on the show. It's just the, the level of importance going into the show. So I, I, I'd i rather, you know, just get wound up and then I've got to come down after the show, then have the promotion themselves try to cool me off. And then I have to get back into the show.
0: Right. Well, then you look at what Jericho said on, on his, his appearance on Stone Cold's Broken Skull Sessions, where you know, he felt like he he had the best program of the year with Kevin Owens, and they were the third match at WrestleMania, and he took right. offense to that.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, originally, that was being pitched as the Universal Championship match. Right, right. You know, still, and- I mean,
0: if it, I I understand like your place in the card, your place in the role. He is the main eventer. Um, I, I get that, but... Either way, you still go out there and you you do your job to the best of your ability. Where does it matter where you are on the card? You're doing your job. Is that an ego and a pride thing then?
1: Absolutely. Especially when you get to the level of Chris freaking Jericho. You're talking about one of the goats. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? I, I <clears throat> Jericho's career, when we actually stop and really look at it, it's just
0: fascinating. Oh, we could do a whole show just on, on, on that because... I learned so much watching him in Broken Skull that I didn't even know about him. And I've been a huge Chris Jericho fan, but even my wife was watching with me. She's like, he's a fucking smart guy. Well, she didn't say fuck, but,
1: um, but i one adding of a little salt and things- pepper
0: to that. But like, he is a brilliant guy at getting himself over. Like, uh, more, more than 90% of anybody in the business right now.
1: And there is so much that they didn't even talk about yeah. on that show. Um, like, have you seen Super Liger? No, I have not. You don't know what Super Liger is? No, in the early to mid nineties, there was clearly, you know, Jushin Thunder Liger. Right. And uh, then this other guy showed up and it was super Liger and he was basically dressed in a all white Jushin Thunder Liger costume. Mm-hmm. And he had this crazy long blonde flowing hair coming out of it. And Sure enough.
0: Was chris jericho it's just chris jericho. wow yeah no super
1: kidding. liger so we got super liger versus jushin liger
0: so even back in the day he he knew exactly you know he was ahead of everybody else yeah, yeah he, even building up that feud with i know we're getting off topic again but even building up that feud with goldberg on and it's his own. still
1: going I, I still think that is a money match <laughs> it could still
0: happen yes, i it mean could.
1: because who screwed him out of that main event with kevin owens
0: Goldberg, yeah, Goldberg did fucking Goldberg. That's 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 a good point. Maybe it'll happen in Saudi Arabia next
1: year. Yeah, Rick and I actually (laughs) talked about that. That it'll probably happen in Saudi Arabia. I (laughs) I do think I do think there is money in a Chris Jericho versus Bill Goldberg match.
0: I absolutely agree. I mean, that's a that's a twenty year payoff, but fuck, at least you're getting a payoff. Goldberg wouldn't sell it even back in the day. At least he'd get the well, he might not even sell it now, but I think he's smart enough now that you know to make to do good business. I mean, I think he's smarter now than he was back then. Back then he was kind of ego driven and, and he didn't I don't think he properly understood the business and what it took to to sell an angle. They could have printed money back in the day with the shit that Jericho was doing to him that he wouldn't even sell.
1: Yeah. Jericho
0: was fucking brilliant to get himself over. At the, the expense of Goldberg.
1: The thing that's incredible about Chris Jericho's career to me is while you can look at, you know, Lionheart Chris Jericho, you can look at Y2J, you can look at Suit and Tie Jericho, you can look at Festival of Friendship Jericho, <laughs> you can look at Inner Circle Jericho, it's all the same character. Yeah. Like it's all one continuous story arc. It's not like you know we're gonna end the book here and start a new one. It's all right. one continuous story, and that's just incredible to me.
0: It really is. It really, is. and I've I've read all of his books, and it, he just he's, it's he's fascinating. Like you can make it, and people are like, ah, oh, he can't put him over Stone Cold or Ric Flair or Hulk Hogan.
1: Why not? Have you ever met the guy?
0: Once, I, 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 I actually met him before his first returned to wwe uh after he left for a while and got put in the fucking trash can he came back with the quaft and his fucking haircut like he was doing a charity signing at the, a random fucking place when i lived up north it's bloomfield connecticut or east Ramby, connecticut i won the two hadn't been around in, in forever um was doing a charity event and like uh, two thousand people were there it was amazing like that people he's like i can't believe all these people still fucking remember me i'm like are you kidding me? You're Jericho? Like this is before he was world champion and all that. Well, right. I guess he he was undisputed champion at, at one time before that, but he he wasn't at the level like he was, you know, at suit and tie, Jericho, which is my favorite period. Um, but and he was a super super friendly guy. He took the time to talk to everybody for three four minutes, and and you know, we're just having a good time with everybody. So, I, I mean, I have nothing bad to say about him personally. I, I just and now that I know what I know about him, he's a fucking genius.
1: He is incredible. He's my best friend, um, in case you didn't know. Okay. Uh, uh, when I met Chris Jericho two, three years ago, um, w- as we were going through the the line, this was at a Fozzie concert, right? Mm-hmm. Me and my oldest daughter, we went. And uh, you could everybody could ask Chris Jericho one question. And that was it. One question. <laughs> and so she asked him uh, where Jericho came from. Which I thought was an uh, uh, interesting story. It came from uh, the band Halloween. They had a song called "The Walls of Jericho," and <laughs> yep. Jericho's a big fan. That's that's where that came from. Um, and I asked him to be my best friend, and he said, "Of course," uh, because you know Jericho has okay. such a, a great reputation with his best friend, So he's now my best friend, Chris <laughs> Jericho. Awesome. Um, he is. Uh, he, he that dude was stone cold drunk at eleven o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I, right, mean, right. I mean that dude he is a fucking rock star he really i is. mean yeah. to to the the very nth degree i love it yeah my best friend no. chris jericho
0: you bet that's awesome well i'm so happy that you're best friends with him yeah i talked to joe feeney about him and joe calls him drunk but but uh, you know it just
1: but he, he's a hell of a nice guy he really really,
0: really nice guy but he really did want to be a rock star and he fucking he did it I mean, he did, he's done everything he's ever wanted to do. Which you plotted nobody, it all out, man. Not many people can say that. I can't believe he's even kept fucking notes on every single match he ever had. Yeah. That's yeah, no. pretty impressive. I mean, that's...
1: Uh, the, the one that got me, I had a- asked him on Twitter once um, if he still had all of the Lucha masks that he took when he was in WCW. Remember when he was the <laughs> yeah, Lucha yeah. mask collector? Yeah. And he does. Yeah. He still has them all, like, in a closet.
0: That's crazy. That's, like, That's freaking great. That is. That level of dedication, I'm telling you. That also proves that he's still a fan. Right? He loves the business, and he's also smart, because he knows he could probably sell that shit for some pretty good money. One oh, day, man. Right? Yeah, just think uh, of
1: all the masks he had. How many yeah. Luchadores did he unmask in WCW? It had to be like ah. a half a dozen. <laughs> pretty much, yeah, it was crazy. Much. I mean,
0: the
1: crazy. psychosis and hooventude and yeah, so on down the line, he was the mass collector. It was a great gimmick. Just it really stuff. was.
0: It, it really was. Awesome. Um, so, what do you think? What do you think is lacking in all the organizations nowadays? What, it, obviously, they're not. Are, are they not putting over the talent properly? Because I mean, Jr. tries. But Jr. doesn't even know half the fucking moves, or it seems like he doesn't even know what the fuck's going on with the stories either. And we we have to rely on fucking dipshit uh, Excalibur. Fucking Excalibur, so
1: and I like Excalibur. I at least I always liked him in PWG. Um, okay, that's but, fair. I don't like it in, in AEW. The AEW is something it does seem very very off. Um, I feel like the biggest thing that is missing today is authenticity. Mm-hmm. everything feels so rehearsed everything feels so scripted everything feels so practiced there's just not that sense of authenticity and emotion that comes with what i should be getting from my commentary team
0: because their main per- i mean their sole purpose is yes you want to put the company over if you do have something p- to promote like a a pay-per-view or you know your twitter or whatever that's fine there's always a time and place for that but uh, you need to
1: promote your talent.
0: You need to put your <laughs> talent over, and that's exactly right. That is is rule number one. Like Ben told me, rule number one about wrestling psychology is put the heat on the heels and get the babies over. That's rule number one when it comes to wrestling psychology. Rule number one when it comes to your announcers: put the fucking talent over.
1: Uh, that 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 might be rule number two. What's rule, rule number one? One, as told to me by Jim Ross. Okay. Never make the baby face look stupid. Ah,
0: so you're best friends with Jim Ross, too?
1: No, I'm not best friends with Jim Ross. He's a cranky old man, Um, (laughs) but but I have had a, a conversation with him. And but yeah, number one, never make the baby face look stupid because people don't like somebody that is stupid.
0: That's true. That's a good point. Now, what what role does the heel commentator have when it comes to that? because obviously they have to uh to put over the heels but you know back in the day you know you you had Bobby Heenan or Jesse Ventura you know saying Chico Santana and the Flying Burrito and all that shit too so i mean where where do you fall when it comes to that what makes a good heel someone that can can aggravate you and, and and irritate you
1: right but how do you do that he has to have a justification He, in his own mind, he has to think that he is right. True. That's That's what, that's to me, what makes a good heel to me, that is the role of the heel commentator to supply the alternate narrative that says, you know, you may not agree with his methods, but he's doing the right thing Right. in his own mind. Like a a delusional heel is the best heel. But he has to have some kind of a justification, otherwise he's just a dick.
0: <laughs> right, 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 right. And that's where I think Jesse was actually really good at, you know, mm-hmm. playing off of events. Um, Jesse Jesse was the the true blue heel. Didn't make fucking jokes. Uh, he he always claimed by telling it like it is. Yep. So he, he he made himself to the you know he put himself over
1: to the fans as I know what I'm talking about. You may I'm not full, like it, man, but that man's trying to feed his family. Yeah. And he makes more money if he wins this championship. So he will do whatever it takes yeah. to win that championship to supply food for his family. And That's it's like, right. wow, suddenly I, I I don't feel so bad. <laughs> like, you know, like, yeah. go get him.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. And that 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 doesn't happen anymore. And, uh, you know, I am a big Corey Graves fan, but I would love to see him thrive somewhere else because he is a very, very smart guy. He is very polished. He's very good. He's a fantastic talker. He's, he's a pro's pro. Mm-hmm. Like you listen to him on After the Bell. I like listening to After the Bell because he gets a little bit a little more a leeway to kind of do whatever he wants. Um, I would love to see him somewhere else to see what he could do because I think he has that talent. And they put a lot of faith in him, too, to give him all those different shows on the network and all that.
1: My favorite thing about Corey Graves is his feud <laughs> with Sasha Banks. <laughs> yeah. and um it, nobody talks about it but it's it, it is it's very hulk hogan and bobby heenan like regardless of where sasha is on the ledger Corey just thinks that she's awful yeah and i love it I, that's my favorite thing about Corey graves
0: yeah that and you know he loves mandy rose's ass but who doesn't right
1: well i mean <laughs> yeah so <laughs> good blooded
0: american male I mean, you said it um as we wrap it up here, uh, I, I appreciate you coming on. We, there's so many more topics I, I'd love to delve into with you because I, I love to pick your brain because you are such a smart guy and a very handsome man as well. So, yeah, what well, the fuck I, is going I, on with my camera? Did you see that? It's yeah, like, yeah, I did. Fucking,
1: like, I think there's me. something something's going on with your keying with your green screen. Uh, I think that's what's
0: going on. Or yeah. I've just downloaded too much porn. I don't know.
1: Well, there is that. I mean, yeah. you, you don't you don't have to download it anymore, man. Like you can stream everything now. What really? Yeah, we, that's what they tell to, me.
0: We need to talk off air about yeah. that. Yeah. yeah.
1: Private mode.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Where can people find you on social media, and let everybody know what uh, what the fine work you're doing here with hitting the marks and uh, HMG.
1: Uh, you can find me across all social media platforms at not Jargo. Uh, in, for all things Jargo, whether it's hitting the marks, whether it's Destino, whether it's uh, my new podcast that's going to be coming soon that's called The Conclusion. Um, I can't wait it's, for
0: it's, that. I, I can't wait for that. I really can't.
1: I appreciate that. Um, I, I've also been doing some work with uh John Paz over at the Two Man Power Trip. That's going up there. Uh, Turnbuckle Talk frequently goes up there. Michaeljargo.com dot That's kind of your your one stop for all things Jargo every day with the top tens and whatnot and keep your eyes open for the conclusion as we we were as you can see we're kind of in the process of tearing apart the locker room studios um and within uh, the next couple of weeks we'll we'll have the 203 getting all set up and uh looking forward to it man uh, getting to rewire and do everything exactly the way that i want it is going to be incredible, but it might take a little while, so you know, I, I'm about due for one of those breaks myself.:
0: God bless your wife, man, because she's going to put up with all that wonderful OCD, right? So,
1: Oh man, dude, you have no idea. this woman. <laughs> this she is woman. a saint. She you is have a no saint. idea. to put up with my shit, yeah. holy crap, dude. But yeah. y- you know uh, it, it's funny because I got home this morning, and she's reading through my top 10 when I get home and I'm just like, Oh boy, what, what's, what's going to be the topic of conversation this morning. And you know what she says to me? Kota Ibushi versus Jeff Cobb. And I was like, God damn it. I love this woman. God, I love you. Yes. God, I love
0: this woman. She completes you. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. yeah very it, much so. Very much. Yeah, I, so. I, I, I I love your daily thoughts on Facebook, by the way. So find
1: yourself a woman that'll wake you up at three thirty in the morning for Wrestle Kingdom, and I guarantee you, you will be, you will have a happy relationship
0: going. On. That's exactly right, um, dude. I really appreciate you being here. I know uh your our schedules don't always line up, and uh, you put time aside for me, so I, I do respect you very much and appreciate that. Uh, we got to yeah, do this do again it, sometime for sure, because uh, I, I like our uh, banter and our chemistry, and I think. Uh, I think we could really break down some good stuff here in the coming months. So we'll yeah. definitely have to get back together, maybe on a bi-monthly or bi-weekly thing. And
1: yeah, man, just drop me a line. We'll we'll set something up.
0: You guys can follow me on Twitter at Rad Rob Gaming. I also have a Twitch gaming channel, twitch.tv slash Rad Rob Gaming. I stream every Tuesday night at six PM Central, every Saturday night at six PM Central. Also, you can check out my YouTube page. It is. Gaming or youtube.com slash radrobgaming i have thousands of videos up if you're an old school retro fan if you're listening to retro wrestling you probably like retro gaming and that's what i'm all about because well i'm just plain fucking old uh if you want to check out my t-shirt store on prowrestlingtees.com slash rad turtles wrestling we have several t-shirts on sale for you guys anytime you do purchase a shirt i will shout you out on the show just to thank you for donating to the Rad Baby Diaper Fund. We'll be back next week for another edition of RTW Rewind right here on the Hameen Media Group. Take care, guys. Thanks again for listening to this episode. You can follow RTW on Twitter at RadTurtlesPod. And you can email the show at RadTurtlesWrestling at gmail.com. We appreciate all of your support. You've been listening to RTW Rewind.